0: Log Talk Radio.
1: This is Abayomi Azikwe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, Abayomi Azikwe. Uh, Today uh, is Sunday, uh, September the 3rd, uh, 2023, and we're broadcasting live uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition of our program. Later on, we'll be bringing up uh, our regular Pan-African Newswire report. Uh, We'll have dispatches on the mass rally held uh, yesterday in Niamey, Niger, uh, demanding the withdrawal of French troops uh, from that West African state. There have been accusations that France is involved in supporting the Boko Haram insurgency in northern Nigeria. We'll have uh, details on that as well. Tunisia has placed a leading opposition figure under house arrest, And Eritreans are being threatened with deportation from the state of Israel after clashes inside uh, the settler colonial state. In the second hour, we examine developments in Gabon, uh, Niger. Uh, Finally, in honor of the 44th Detroit Jazz Festival, we will listen to the second part of an interview with the legendary musician, Horace Silver. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Uh, Stay tuned. And uh, we're going to take our musical interlude uh, with uh, the music of Malutu Shake uh, from uh, Ethiopia. Let's listen in. Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the music of Ethiopian jazz impresario, uh, Mulatu Astake. Uh, That was a collection of music uh, from 1969 to 1974, and uh, Mulatu Astake is considered the founder of uh, Ethiopian jazz and, uh, of course, has played extensively in uh, the U.K., as well as in the United States, particularly in Boston. And you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast for the early morning hour of Monday, uh, September the 4th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting those in downtown Detroit. And uh, right now we want to move into the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of our program. And the lead story uh, in uh, this uh, week's uh, Pan-African Newswire uh, deals uh, with the current situation in the West African state of Niger, where uh, there has uh, been an open defiance against French and U.S. imperialism. And, of course, uh, in that country, thousands rallied on Saturday in Niamey, the capital, to demand that France withdraw. Its troops are from Niger, as sought by the junta that seized power in late June. Uh, the protesters gathered near a base housing French soldiers following a call by several civic organizations hostile to French military presence in the West African state. And uh, the CNSP seized power in late July, in, on July 26. We are here. Uh, to express our determination, our commitment, and our devotion to getting the French military force and all the military bases on our national territory out of the country, explained protesters Amidou Gourou. Niger's military regime had fired a new verbal broadside at France on Friday, accusing Paris of, quote, blatant interference, unquote, by backing the country's ousted President Mohamed Bazoum. Early August, the regime announced the scrapping of military agreements with France, which has some 1,500 soldiers stationed in the country to help fight jihadism in the region. Paris ignored the move on grounds of legitimacy, but her have also announced the immediate expulsion of the French ambassador, Sylvain Leitch, and announced the withdrawal of his diplomatic immunity, stating his presence was a threat to public order. French President Emmanuel Macron on Monday held uh, lit, uh, works in Niger and said he will stay in the country despite being given a 48-hour deadline to leave Niger a week ago. In other news, this is Posidi Ajibola, uh, the convener of the Center for African Liberation and Socioeconomic Rights, uh, has delivered a stern message to French authorities emphasizing Nigeria's sovereignty and warning against any attempts to invade the country. Nigeria is a sovereign nation, and we will not tolerate any foreign power attempting to interfere with our affairs. France did not colonize Nigeria, and they have no right to meddle in our internal matters. We are well aware that under the guise of supporting the fight against the uh, terrorist organizations, uh, France has assumed a role as a mouthpiece for the Boko Haram group, even using state media to promote their activities, said Ajibola. The anti-terrorism movement asserts uh, that uh, France uh, bears responsibility for uh, the rise of Boko Haram in Nigeria. they caution that the world uh, is closing, closely monitoring uh, France's action, and that unless they cease supporting terrorism, their reckoning is drawing near. It is important to note that Nigeria was not colonized by France. Furthermore, Ajibola pointed out that French colonized African countries are burdened with colonial debts to France, and those who refuse to comply face severe consequences. She called upon the United Nations to conduct a thorough investigation into France's role in fostering terrorism on the African continent. You're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of the Pan-African Journal. In other news, uh, Tunisia's opposition Islamist party, Ennahda, said that one of its senior officials has been placed under house arrest by authorities in what it called an illegal decision. Ennahda condemned in a statement uh, Sunday the sanctions against Abdel Karim Haruni and called for him to be released. The now still Salvation Front Tunisia's main opposition coalition, which includes Inada, said in a statement that Haruni had been placed under House arrest from Saturday evening, one day before he was to take part in a meeting to prepare the party's Congress schedule in October. The opposition coalition denounced an arbitrary decision uh, that uh, comes in the context of the arrest of the historical leaders of the Inada party the closure of all its headquarters and threats to its leaders and activists. The National Salvation Front said it considers this new step to be part of the series of continuous measures attacking democracy and freedom in the nation of Tunisia. And uh, finally, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called for the immediate deportation of Israel migrants involved in recent violent clashes In Tel Aviv, he held a meeting to discuss measures against those who participated, referring to them as illegal infiltrators. Quote, what happened yesterday crossed a red line. It's a riot. It's bloodshed. These are riots we cannot accept. Therefore, the first thing I do is to wish recovery to the police officers who were injured during the attempts to restore order. We ask for strong measures against the rioters, including the immediate deportation of those who took part in it, said Benjamin Netanyahu. This statement followed a violent confrontation between Eritrean government supporters and opponents, resulting in injuries to dozens, including police officers and protesters hit by police fire. Eritreans constitute the majority of the African asylum seekers in Israel, but Israel recognizes only a few as asylum seekers, viewing most as economic migrants. Netanyahu said, uh, quote, I have a hard time understanding why we would have a problem with those who declare themselves to be supporters of the Eritrean regime, so they certainly cannot make a claim of to be refugees. I also request that this forum will prepare a complete and updated plan for the gathering today. He also said that an updated plan for the removal of all other illegal infiltrators from the State of Israel And this is the purpose of this gathering today, unquote, the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said. The presence of migrants has been a divisive issue in the country, with supporters advocating for asylum and opponents citing concerns about crime in low-income neighborhoods where they reside. With that, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment of our program, would like to remind our listeners the pan-african newswire is an international electronic press service it is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world the press agency was founded in January of 1998 since then it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in hundreds of newspapers magazines journals research reports and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, all you need to do is go to our website, and uh, that is at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. If you would like to uh, have access to today's program, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, uh, September the 3rd, in the early morning hours of Monday, September 4th, 2023, all you need to do is go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's located at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash african Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week.
2: I'll never smile again
3: Until I smile at you
1: mile again, and of course, uh, this weekend is the Detroit Jazz Festival, the 44th anniversary or the 44th consecutive uh, Detroit Jazz Festival. This year, uh, the, there's a lot of uh, wonderful jazz artists uh, featuring, including uh, Regina Carter from Detroit, uh, Kenny Garrett, uh, who is also originally uh, from the city of Detroit, Rodney uh, Whitaker, the bass player they did uh, earlier today, or yesterday, uh, there was a tribute uh, to uh, the late, great John Coltrane, and there was also a tribute uh, to James Reese Europe as well. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast. Uh, We're here in the early morning hour of Monday, September 4th, uh, 2023, which is a federal holiday in the United States, uh, Labor Day. Right now, we're going to move into a discussion on the situation in Gabon. This is an interview uh, done uh, over a network uh, in uh, Nigeria uh, where they interviewed uh, the former African Union ambassador to the United States, uh, Dr. Harikana Zahumbui Kwao. Well, Of course, uh, many of the questions are based upon the uh, information uh, that is being fed uh, to the African media uh, from France and from the United States in regard to the situation in Gabon and and throughout the entire former uh, French uh, West Africa colonies uh, where there's been upheaval uh, over the last uh, several years, intensifying over the last several months. This, of course, uh, has a lot to do uh, with the geostrategic significance uh, of West Africa as it relates to the overall uh, thrust of uh, Western imperialism uh, in Africa and indeed around the world. Let's listen to this interview. Uh, Dr. Arakana uh, answers uh, the questions uh, very diplomatically but firmly. Uh, they venture into attacks on Republic of Zimbabwe. These are the hosts and the interviewers. Uh, They also question um, the notion of France uh, playing a detrimental role uh, in uh, West Africa. And of course, just in a news report we heard earlier, uh, talking about uh, allegations related to the connection between uh, the imperialist countries and the so-called Islamic jihadist groups uh, that are causing so much instability uh, inside of West Africa. Let's listen uh, to this interview with uh, Dr. Arikana shimhumbori powell
4: The Central African country, Gabon, now has a new transition leader, General Brice Oligui Nguema, the leader of Gabon's elite Republican Guard, the unit in charge of the president's security. He became the country's leader after army officers appeared on national television in Gabon, annulled the presidential election and claimed they had taken power and placed the President Ali Bongo under house arrest and his son, his son has been detained. The Gabon coup is the eighth coup in former French colonies in Africa in the past three years. According to the Electoral Commission, incumbent President Bongo had won a third time in office with just under two-thirds of the vote in a poll the opposition claimed was fraudulent. The country has been run by one family for 55 years. France says they are watching and following the situation closely. Meanwhile, the European Union's foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, has expressed concern for the whole of the region after yet another military coup. Also in Zimbabwe of Southern Africa, the main opposition, the Citizens Coalition for Change, CCC, is calling for fresh elections after his presidential candidate lost to incumbent Emerson Nagagua in a vote it blasted as both flawed and illegal. Nelson Chamisa, who is the opposition leader and his party, rejected the election results, accusing President Emerson Mnangagwa of perpetrating a coup d'etat over the ballot. According to results announced late Saturday by the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, Nagagwa, 80 years old, won a second term with 52.6% against 44% for the CCC's 45-year-old Nelson Chamisa. International observers said the vote fell short of democratic standards, while the opposition stated that the poll was marred by rigging and voter suppression and claimed victory. Joining us now on the morning show to discuss the political situation in Gabon and they just concluded election in Zimbabwe, is Dr. Arikana Chihumburi Kwao, a diplomat, medical doctor, and activist. She served as the African Union representative to the United States from 2017 to 2019. Good morning, uh, Dr. Kwao, and thank you very much for joining us on The Morning
5: Show. Good morning, and thank you for having me.
4: Thank you very much indeed. Well, let's start with uh, Zimbabwe, your home country. The election there, the president, uh, 80 years old, uh, has been declared the winner. Now, the uh, major opposition party, the CCC, is saying that that election was uh, fraudulent. Now, what options are really available? What next for Zimbabwe? Because the same opposition party says that judiciary, the judiciary in Zimbabwe cannot be relied upon. So, who is going to uh, enforce the fresh elections that they are asking for? Would they have the option of going to the same judiciary uh, that they have been uh, condemning? And in any case, uh, the Zimbabwe authorities have uh, uh, queried uh, the international observers who wrote reports and they said those reports... Were by us so what next for zimbabwe would uh, the president have his way
5: well thank you very much for uh, bringing that very important subject of uh, our beloved country from zimbabwe uh let me start by saying zimbabwe is um, is a very special country special country in the sense that when you look at our history and how we attained our independence It was independence that was attained through blood loss of thousands of young people who stood up after being oppressed, after living under apartheid conditions uh, for for a very long time, Uh, starting with colonization, followed by the uh, Unilateral Declaration of Independence by Ian Smith, which, of course, ushered in the, uh, the apartheid. With that background, it is pretty clear that any leadership that's going to be in Zimbabwe has got to recognize how Zimbabwe got to be the Zimbabwe that we have uh, today. I think it's actually true for most of the uh, African nations that uh, attained their independence through guerrilla warfare, through bloodshed, through loss of lives of many young people. That having been said, you will find that since independence, There have been forces, outside forces, that were very disappointed that Zimbabwe was not thrown into a civil war after our independence. You saw the coming together of uh, President Mugabe and uh, and, uh, then Vice President uh, Joshua Nkomo. Again, a a negotiated uh, agreement uh, from two leaders who had fought viciously to liberate our people. That background, that history of uh, liberation, The history that uh, we must never ever forget those who lost their lives defending Zimbabwe so it is fitting that if we are going to have a leader we must have a leader who respects that we must we must have a leader who understands that for us to have the independence that we have today in Zimbabwe many people lost their lives there are still forces that are still trying to make sure that Zimbabwe continues to pay for having had a transition to a civilian rule that was not marred with a civil war. Some of you may not know, but there are many forces that wanted Zimbabwe to get into a civil war. That did not happen. Following that, there was the land reform, which people again must understand. The lander's agreement, what it stipulated, what needed to happen. When Zimbabwe would begin to talk about the land reform, it is Zimbabwe that followed the Landers' Agreement to the key. People don't know that history. It is Britain. It is the white Zimbabweans who did not follow the Landers' Agreement to the King. It is those who wanted to make sure that white rule continued in Zimbabwe that started creating chaos, that started using their own connections outside to make sure that negative information is shown on Zimbabwe repeatedly. Consequently, because of the land reform, Zimbabwe has endured 23 years of sanctions. And in spite of all that, sanctions that everybody has said are unfounded, sanctions that everybody has said they are illegal, but nonetheless, the sanctions continue because those with outside connections continue to exert pressure and uh, spew out negative information about the country. With that in mind, when you look at if we are going to have an opposition, former president, vice-president Sangrai, after having gone through some contentious periods with President Mugabe, they eventually had gotten to where they had a common understanding. A common understanding, for example, that when um, Vice President uh, Sangrai was getting married, his reception was being hosted by President Mugabe. That's the sort of Zimbabwe we want to see. When leadership understands that, yes, we may fight, yes, we may have our disagreements, But at the end of the day, we must ultimately look at what is ultimately best for the people. We don't want leadership that's going to be used by outside forces as instruments of our own self-destruction. I'm leading this to say, during my tenure as the African Union ambassador to the United States, I was quite disappointed by members of the then-MDC, and that included uh, Chamisa, the current president of uh, CCC, which is a new party, when they were coming to the, to the United States to lobby for sanctions against Zimbabwe to continue. That to me was quite disturbing, understanding what sanctions were doing uh, to the average person on the street. Why then would anyone who wants to lead the people of Zimbabwe, why then would anyone who claims to love the people of Zimbabwe then come to Washington and lobby? For sanctions against zimbabwe to continue i think it was at that point that the opposition of zimbabwe lost me i just could not understand it and that sentiment continues you hear uh comments from uh, some of them claiming uh that uh, the westerners are going to help us that uh, we needed to bring westerners in in order to uh to improve the economy they failed to understand that the economy is where it is today because of the same, the same Western countries that are not pleased to see Zimbabwe moving forward. The same Western forces that are more interested in our natural resources, the same Western forces that are doing the same in many other countries. What I would like our African electorates to understand that you can analyze any African country. It doesn't matter how good a government is. The, the outsiders, particularly the Western countries, we always support the opposition. Wherein lies the problem because now we are being used as instruments of our own self-destruction. Our people should stop and pay attention to what is really going on. That is my problem with this, what is happening in Zimbabwe. Some in the opposition are heavily funded and supported by outside forces. So needless to say, their judgment is flawed. The judgment is not based on what is ultimately best for the people of Zimbabwe. For me, the opposition lobbying for sanctions to continue against Zimbabwe, that was uh, the red line that they crossed for me, and that's when they lost me uh, as a Zimbabwean. And so the opposition, I feel, they need to understand our history, and they need to understand that they cannot be supported by outside forces, and that they should resist the, the temptation to be used as instrument of our own self-destruction. We have our elders. I understand President Kikwete uh, has, uh, is leading a team that's going to be going to Zimbabwe. There are processes that we can follow. There are V11 forms that are available. They are free to review them. They have the right to, to contest the, uh, the elections. They have the right to ask as many questions as they want. They have the right. Even in the United States, you remember back then when they talked about counting the cards, whatever needs to be done to count those votes, to count those G11 forms, but do it truthfully, without cheating, without creating unnecessary wahala, like we would say in, in Nigeria. But there is due process that they should be uh, awarded. They, uh, they are free to recount the elections. And yes, people must be free uh, to cast their votes without intimidation.
3: Yeah. My
5: own understanding is that about 2 to 5% of the of the vote, there were some uh, some challenges there. That is to be expected. But even then, that two to five percent of uh, of votes that were felt to be not quite at par, uh, they need to be evaluated. All right. But when you look at the greater scheme of things, I think two to five percent of the uh, of the vote having some issues is not too big a number. Uh, but nonetheless, those two must be counted. But at the end of the day, I feel our elders should be allowed to deal with the situation in Zimbabwe and any other country that has some issues and keep the outsiders out of the situation because their intentions are never good. In fact, it is they that create unnecessary conditions yeah. uh, in our countries. All right.
0: Dr. Carl, thank you so much. The last time you were here, you also um, expressed the same view in terms of keep the outsiders away, let Africa deal with its own issues internally. Now, you talk about seeking redress, you know, redress especially from um, Mr. Chima- Chamisa, if he feels that the elections were not transparent or he should go through it the, you know, the formal way. But in 2018, during the last elections, he did the same. And the challenge there was that there's a, there's, a, there's a view that the judiciary is compromised, that he had complained that tens of thousands of votes were not accounted for, but he didn't bear much fruit. So what is the hope that if he does the same thing now, things will be different? And the picture you painted about Zimbabwe's elections and what occurred in the last weekend is almost as if you were speaking about many other African countries. The same challenges or core, election um, irregularities, um, you know, um, leaders wanting to stay put and the claim by opposition that elections are not free and fair. How do we begin to solve this problem within Africa? Because it's a recurrent challenge. The same thing that happened in, in, um, in Gabon. And why the elections over the weekend fraught with irregularities while the military felt the need to step into a coup. How do we begin to solve these issues internally?
5: Again, we have to look at each situation very differently. And for the most part, again, I want to go back to the common denominator when it comes to elections in Africa. Why is it that Africans are not allowed to hold their elections without the influence of the Western world? That's where the problem begins, where it doesn't matter, like I said at the beginning, no matter how good a leader is, the the Western world is always going to support the opposition. And Mm -hmm. if you follow the history, let's say the opposition happens to win, the western world will still support whoever is opposition so i want the africans to understand that we are under siege and a lot of times we are supported to do things to behave in a way in a way that is detrimental to the overall well-being of the people infiltration of the african opposition parties by those who wish to see us armed becomes a big problem where now you don't know which one is the chicken and which one is the egg because the infiltration is heavy it's coming from uh, people who are well funded and our people at times are not stopping to think enough to say why am i moving in the direction that i'm doing i'm moving in why am i allowing others from outside to influence my thinking and that is why it is a common denominator that every African election, opposition is always going to cry foul. It's okay to cry foul, but let's follow the process. Let's make sure that everybody's voice is heard. Where we run into a problem is Western money being used to influence the decision-making processes of the opposition. Why is it that the Western world never comes in with an even hand? If you're going to support, support both parties support the ruling party, support the opposition, but make sure that you don't interfere. China does not interfere. Russia does not interfere. We Africans will do not interfere with anybody else's elections, but sadly, African elections are heavily infiltrated, are heavily uh, supported by outside, and always supporting the opposition to create havoc. Wherein lies the problem. That's why you see the common denominator. I am going to table that interference from the Western world is the biggest challenge all African countries are running into. So as Africans, we must look at every election individually. Take the time to understand the leadership. Understand Chamisa in Zimbabwe. Who is he? What does he stand for? And what does he plan to do for Zimbabwe? Be objective in your analysis of the people. Don't just jump onto the bandwagon and just follow the general trend. Oh, African leadership. No, we have some very good leaders who are leading their countries well in Africa, let's not paint every African leader with one, with, with one brush. Let's not paint every electoral process with one brush. Now that you're talking about Zimbabwe, I told you on a personal level, and these are my personal opinions, where the opposition lost me, supporting sanctions against Zimbabwe, it's a big thing to me, because I know what sanctions are doing to Zimbabwe. And for any leader who's going to stand up and visit the Western world, and encourage them to continue sanctions against Zimbabwe. That person does not deserve my vote, and I have no respect for that particular leader. I'm going to say, then let's go on to Gabon. Gabon is another situation. Let's not be quick to jump into it, just because the junta have taken uh, power doesn't necessarily make it look similar to what's happening in Niger. When we look at what's happening in Gabon, and again, that's my personal assessment, this is a coup that's taking place soon after the election. You want to look and evaluate the positions of the opposition. What are the positions? Who is the leader of the opposition? Uh, not the junta, but rather the opposition party that was running against uh, pres- the deposed president, uh, Bongo. What was his position? Who was supporting him? Um, and the junta the are they in line with the opposition? or are they going to be a neutral party? All those issues need to be, need to be addressed and looked at very carefully and be analysed. Why? At the same time, we are still running into the invisible hand that is always at play when it comes to African elections, which makes it very difficult for the African electorate to be able to say what is true, what is fact, what is real, and where are the lies, and, and, and where is the truth in the middle of all that. But if we are aware that there are outside forces that are constantly trying to topple us, create chaos, and keep us forever chasing our tails. It will be easier for us to then say, you know, the situation in Gabon, let's step back for a little bit. Let's understand. How do we know that France, realizing that the sentiment that's coming out of Niger, maybe they are re-strategizing? Is it possible that they could have been supporting both the government as well as the opposition? And then now the junta could get uh, mixed up in all that. I really think the situation in Gabon is still fresh,
3: okay. it's still
5: fluid. We need to take some time to really understand okay. it and, uh, and, okay. and bundle it and understand who is who, what do they stand for. But above all, let's make sure that the people who are coming to power, they are not being used as instruments of our own self-destruction. So let's take some time and anal- analyze the situation in Gabon. Truthfully, and make sure that we, at the end of the day, we have an African solution to African problems. Once again, I'm calling on our elders to regroup, to come to Gabon and talk to our children, talk to our leaders, so they really understand the issues. Let's look at uh, President Bongo. Let's look at the military leader. Let's look at the opposition. Let's understand all the functions. And so it is important. That we understand what is really going on. Okay. For now, everybody step back, take a look at what's going on. Okay. Let's understand it before we run into rash judgment. Okay,
6: okay, Mama Africa. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk some more with Mama Africa. We'll be right back. All right. Uh... Welcome back. We've got Dr. Arikana Chimboru a diplomat and a medical doctor and an activist known as Mama Africa. Mama Africa, great to have you. It's always a pleasure to see you on the show. But I'd like to carefully disagree with a lot of things you said here and also throw my questions. Number one, uh, you talked about China not, you know, supporting opposition party. Uh, China is supporting, in fact, there are over 50,000 trainings by the CCP to various African oppositions all over uh, the continent of Africa, there are also many ways China has used soft power to infiltrate African democratic process and Russia too is beginning to take suit as regards that. Also, the other part of the conversation, because we can only blame the West on this. Yes, France, we know France has done a lot of destruction to the African continent, the West Manager, we can't deny that. We cannot deny the likes the of what Foucault did, the destructive effect of the likes of Foucault on the African continent. But is it only the Western nations or other people that are coming to benefit from Africa, like China, that are doing this? And you kept on saying yes. The likes of Nelson Chamisa shouldn't go abroad and seek, you know, support from opposition. That they should should look inward. They should file their case. I all pointed it out. that Nelson Chamisa filed this case the last time, but nothing happened. So uh, you're also saying that there are some African leaders doing well. Is it the like what are you saying? Is it are you saying Ma that the likes of Menagagwa are a good leader? good leaders did you see the corruption case and corruption investigation documentary al jazeera network released a five-part series of how there were transactions around the president and dealing in gold at the expense of zimbabwean people the massive corruption case so you see that menagabwa is a good leader
3: uh, with all of that let
5: me start with let me start with the last example that you have given um again i would appreciate it if journalists you to take time to really understand the facts on the ground. When it comes to the gold mafia, no one in Zimbabwe was disadvantaged. Everybody that is a miner, starting from the artisanal miners to to, uh, um, commercial mining, everybody, no one was disadvantaged. The people who were taking the gold out of Zimbabwe were licensed. No criminal activity took place in Zimbabwe. If there were any criminal activities that took place, they may have taken place once the gold was outside Zimbabwe. You, my son, I need you to do your homework and understand the story fully. Do not jump into the media and the, uh, the, the uh, rhetoric that they spread. No one in Zimbabwe was disadvantaged. The people took the gold out legally. The processes that are followed by anybody else who's taking gold out of Zimbabwe were followed. So please, do not spread information that is half truth. T- take your time understand what really happened in zimbabwe any illegal activity took place outside zimbabwe once the gold left zimbabwe that's one thing let's look at the conditions on the ground when you look at let's say for example farming are you realizing that zimbabwe is now emerging as one of the major producers of food if you look at the largest bamba harvest of wheat do you think that's just going to happen in a vacuum have you taken the time to really go to zimbabwe and see the developments that are taking place look at the new airport look at the highways that are being built look at the entry poles, the the ancient that are being built have you taken the time yourself to actually see the developments that are taking place in zimbabwe or you are just sitting in your uh, in your offices and listening to whatever talk propaganda that's going to be skewed out by the media because they have the accesses to do so i would hope that you journalists you're the ones who have failed us on many occasions by not taking the time to really dig deep and get your history and understand what's going on in Africa before you start just picking up from the Western media. You are quite wrong. I know I have spent quite a bit of time now in Zimbabwe. Having lived outside the country and going back to Zimbabwe, I'm amazed at the visible changes that I see myself. When I hear of these election violence, I've not seen them. I remember one of the elections, I was sitting in my living room in Zimbabwe, And there was all this chaos going on, black people supposedly looting and stealing from white people. And I later found out that it was farmers in some remote part of Zimbabwe that had changed that situation to get their own employees to start acting like they were stealing refrigerators, to steal a refrigerator and and, and take it to a shack. They were pushing cars, stealing cars by, by pushing them. So then CNN was there faster than any local media could show up that was back in the in, in the nineties. All state. I'm sitting in my living room in Zimbabwe and wondering which Zimbabwe is this that CNN is talking about. So you journalists, please, I ask you to take the time before you start reporting. Get your facts straight. Okay, so Gold Ma- Mama Gold Africa. Mama Africa, can tell you yes.
6: Mama Africa. So as a journalist, yes. we'll do our jobs. that will put the facts to you. Mama Africa, please, tell us more about the story of this Zimbabwean top ambassador, Hubert Angel, the pastor that was going around brokering deals on behalf of the president. It was a five-pack series. And concerning not getting our facts mm-hmm. right, the facts are out there as regards the matter, what was happening. Those conversations were taped. They are video evidence mm-hmm. of Ubert Angel bragging about the access he had to the president and the president's wife Mm -hmm. and the president's family and how they were moving cash around and the church he ran. There were many other people in that video. So are you saying now that Menagagwa is the best leader for your country because, oh, you are seeing developments and all of that. Is that what you're saying? And the opposition should be shut down?
5: Tell us more about this, Robert Angle. Ma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good question. How often do you see people just name-dropping constantly? That pastor, that was all bravado. And you, he will tell you that if he used to tell you the truth. That pastor, it was all bravado. Somebody who is just using a position that he has been given, and he's just pushing name-dropping. Now, if there were some other things that may happen from time to time, but clearly the pastor was just a loudmouth pastor, who was probably not very well versed in diplomacy and he, he was name dropping now if there were some other issues how he can say i'll take money and just who is carrying two billion dollars i mean can you tell me can you actually carry two billion dollars in a duffel bag and that's exactly what he said i can put two billion dollars in a duffel bag and i throw it into the diplomatic bag and nobody's gonna touch it is that realistic does that even make sense Okay, so please let's also, let's also read between the lines. I am only saying, Doctor, you, I you have more
6: people tied up around that deal mm-hmm. that can I kind of read out to you based on the research. Okay. So, but I will yield the floor to other people, people as wrong. regards that corruption research and also. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you know that journalists were arrested for ever even talking about the case in the local media, and they were completely bad and hassled and muscled. So a man, NSM Menagagwa that muscles and attacks the journalists for reporting any case where there's no press freedom, does that make him also a good leader? Those are the questions. But I yield the floor, Dr. Kwak. Okay. Mama Africa, I respect you, Mama. Yes. I yield the floor.
4: Yes. Yeah, the floor? let's Kua. go back. Are you, are someone from here... May them? I also... Excuse me. Mm
5: -hmm.
4: You want to say something?
5: No, I was simply saying you also need to understand that we run into situations with journalists who come into African countries particularly where they are um, areas of uh, concern with their own agenda and are not going to be looking for a balanced evaluation and assessment of the situation. At what point Do we continue to allow journalists who are intentionally coming in with a specific agenda to destabilize the country and report negative, false information? We need to be able to define between the two. Journalists who are coming to report the truth and journalists who are coming in to lie. We realize our problem It's a constant denominator when it comes to African politics. We never get to know the truth because some of our journalists are compromised. Yes, we have some very good journalists, but in the middle of them, there are some that are, that are compromised, and they are on the payrolls of foreign nationals. That also is a serious well, problem Dr. that Kuo, we must address.
4: Dr. Kwahu, I, I consider the point that, well, as someone from uh, Zimbabwe, you have your own choice in the matter. You know, <laughs> you may well right. have your sympathies with uh, Zanu PF and not with uh, the CCC. However, my concern.
5: No, I, no, let me say this. Do, do, try not to categorize me, sir. I am as, as factual as I need to be. I refuse to be pigeonholed into an agenda. I do not make my own assessment. I've told you where I drew the line when I felt with proof for the people myself coming to lobby for sanctions against Zimbabwe. That's when I had issues, and that's where CCC Back then, as MBC lost me, okay. that, for me, was, okay. a, was, okay. a, was, a, was a red line that I was not willing to cross. Okay, but what I
4: intend to interrogate is your point that, look, the opposition uh, in Africa often mm-hmm. works or, you know, uh, we seem to be influenced by outside interests. It's a conspiracy theory, which, you know, may not really succeed if it is broken down country by country. But what I really wanted to talk about is the Francophone, what someone has described as the Francophone Spring. We have seen coups, you know, military interventions now in Mali, in Burkina Faso, in Niger, and now in Gabon. Now, the difference in Gabon is that the coup makers and the people of Gabon who are jubilating, they have not condemned France. France has been condemned in Mali, in Burkina Faso, mm-hmm. in the Gabon, nobody is condemning France. In fact, France, the exactly. foreign minister, has condemned the coup. So, what makes the Gabon case different? Because there, nobody can establish outside influence.
5: Again, you are making a comment, a statement, that nobody can establish outside influence. I'm saying, pause before you make such a firm blanket statement. We don't know if France is involved. And I need you to be clear about that. We do not know if France is involved. So we need to take time. This situation is too, too fresh. It is too fluid. It's premature for us to make a statement to say France is not involved. I have reservations when it comes to that. France is very conniving. Do not understand, underestimate the games that France can play. We have France right now that is responsible with other countries, of course, for the, for, the, for the terrorist activities, the Boko Haram, the ISIS, the Al-Qaeda. So at night they are supporting the terrorists. During the day they are working with the government, they are occupying those countries in the name of fighting terrorism, the terrorism that they created. So please, let's not forget, I am not ready to say France is not involved. France is very carnising. It would be foolish of us to think that france is not involved at this time i'm saying let's take some time push back let's continue to listen to the general yes i did listen to the speech of the general yes i did notice that they said nothing about france they said nothing about neocolonization they said nothing about imperialism let's wait and see exactly the direction in which the generals are taking us but i would hold off claiming that france is not involved I would hold off on that, because I don't trust France, they are very carnising. You will be surprised down the road that to some extent they may have been involved. They work both parties, they are working both sides, they are very good at it. And they are, they are doing it right now, even with the fight against terrorism. So please be careful when you say France is not involved.
4: Okay, but Dr. Kwa, what do you think of African leaders who decide to just stay in power permanently and perpetrate themselves and build a dynasty? As you have seen in Gabon, and as you have seen in no, the Victoria, that, Guinea.
5: And that is exactly where President Bongo uh, w- uh, made a mistake. I, I disagree totally with that. The family has run the, the country for 55 years. <laughs> That's unacceptable. Changing the Constitution is unacceptable. So yes, that blame should fall squarely on his lap. He uh, dug his own grave. He never should have done it. But again, I'm simply saying, let us face the situation for its totality, so we are not spoon-fed into taking one position. For example, right now, you're already quick to, uh, to, 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 to turn France loose. I'm not ready to do that yet. But President Bongo should not, never have uh, changed the Constitution. And, oh, yeah, really, I think it's almost to the point of embarrassing that one family, one dynasty, could run the country for 55 years. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. There is no excuse about that.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time with us this morning, Dr. Chihombori Kwao. We look forward to having a conversation with you in the near future.
1: That was uh, the former African Union ambassador to uh, the United States. And uh, we, of course, are here at the Patent African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast during the early morning hour of Monday. Uh, September 4th, uh, 2023. We'll take a break. We'll be right back.
2: I want a Sunday kind of love. A love to last past Saturday night. And I'd like to know. It's more than love at first sight, and I want a Sunday kind of love. Oh yeah, yeah. I want a, a a love that's on the square. Can't seem to find somebody, someone to care. I'm on a lonely road That leads to nowhere I need a Sunday Who will show me the way in my heart? I need someone someone to enforce to keep me
1: of Etta James uh, with the track entitled Sunday Kind of Love, and this weekend the Detroit Jazz Festival has featured uh, many uh, great artists, many of whom are originally from the city of Detroit, although they don't live here now, many of them, many do, uh, but others have moved uh, to the East Coast and the West Coast, even uh, to other uh, countries around the world. And uh, right now we want to pay tribute to another great jazz Legend: uh, we heard uh, part one of an interview. We want to hear part two of an interview with uh, Horace Silver, whose birthday was commemorated uh, just this last past week. Let's listen to this interview from 1969 with Horace Silver. <laughs>
7: Finger popping with the Horace Silver Quintet, Lou Mitchell, Jr. Cook, Eugene Taylor, Lewis Hayes, and the fine pianist and composer Horace Silver. And if you were listening last night to All Night Jazz, then you heard part one of an interview with Horace Silver, who is in town playing at the Jazz Workshop through March 2nd. That's over on Broadway in San Francisco. Now we have Mr. Silver here again via tape recording. How are you doing?
8: Hi, it's good to be back with you again tonight.
7: We got so many records to play. I just want to play some more. I figured that one hour wasn't enough to devote to all your many fine compositions. We should add that everything we played last night was one of your compositions, and everything we played tonight, except that one on Ep- on Epic, is Is that uh, one of your recordings? Which one is that? The uh, thing called "The Night Has a Thousand Eyes." Oh
8: no, that's that's an old standard. I didn't write that, but uh, so I thought only we did one. a good version on
7: that. Sure. Yeah. We are going to play that one and uh, talk a little bit more about your new group and find out.
8: Yes, uh, actually, uh, you know, uh, when we spoke last night, uh, I neglected to uh, mention the fellas' names. I just realized that tonight, you know, and uh, uh, of course we're working at the jazz workshop and we'll be there till March 2nd, and in the group we have uh, Randy Brecker on trumpet and uh, Benny Maupin on tenor saxophone and flute and john williams on uh regular bass and electric bass and uh, bob fant on drums and incidentally you know we have a, a, a brand new uh, record coming out in april on blue note and uh the title of the album is called uh you gotta take a little love and uh the uh, theme of the album is based on brotherhood and uh most of the tunes in the album uh the titles of the tunes uh have something to do with with brotherhood several of the tunes have lyrics uh, which uh have uh, brotherhood uh, meaning you know
1: it's
7: pattern in other words off of your last album serenade not gone. really
8: the well uh well it's sort of an extension of that the way i look at it uh uh i wrote the line of notes on the last one and this one and uh uh in writing the line on notes I switched for a theme and the theme of the last one was love, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
8: And uh the theme of this one is Brotherhood, so it's sort of an extension of that. Uh but the, the music is different and uh uh I have four of the numbers in this album have lyrics, brotherhood type lyrics. And uh it's 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 a fine album, uh nice stuff to have it come out. Uh, it came off very well. All the fellows played very well on it, and uh, I think the cover is going to be something special too. Uh, the art director has been working like mad on it. Uh, I think getting, it's going to be quite, quite a beautiful package.
7: Was this done at Rudy Van Gelder's, the new one?
8: Yes, yes it was.
7: How do you feel? You've done practically everything you've ever done there, right?
8: Just about, yeah. Not everything, but almost everything. Uh, uh, Rudy is a very fine engineer. Uh, especially for uh, for small group jazz. He, uh, he really knows how to record uh, small group jazz extremely well. Uh, I, I always uh, am very well satisfied with the balance and everything he gets with us, you know.
7: Uh-huh. He's very easy to work with. I, I guess the place is very uh, relaxed then.
8: Yes, yes it does. Uh-huh. Shall so we go into some more music?
7: I'd like to hear something something nice and up-tempo how about uh, me and my baby you like that that's fine that's, that's not up-tempo that's medium it's, uh,
8: well we just came out of uh, finger popping which is up-tempo so uh, me uh, and my baby would be all right
7: okay blue Mitchell and Junior Cook Roy Brooks Gene Taylor and of course Horace Silver <laughs> My baby, from the album Horoscope. Are you into that at all?
8: Uh, Astrology? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think, uh, think very highly of that.
7: It's uh, it's the new thing on the West Coast. Well, I guess. Well, I don't don't think so.
8: As long as I've been coming out here, uh, I've I've found that uh, uh, more more than more so than the East Coast, uh, the West Coast people have have always been very much uh, interested in astrology. Uh, f- fact it used to uh, hit me kind of strange when I first came out here because uh, in New York uh, you don't hear too many people talking about it, but uh, when I first came out here well, I'd, I'd meet different people and 10 or 15 minutes after I meet them or sometimes sooner than that they'd ask you what your sign is, you know.
7: Right. I've heard... And
8: everybody it. was interested in everybody else's signs, you know. <laughs> I thought it a bit strange at the time. but. Um, uh, i can dig it now you know because uh i've i've become more interested in it myself and uh, i think it has a lot of uh, In fact i know it has a lot of validity to it I
7: noticed you but I, a sign I also virgo. believe
8: though uh yes that's my sign virgo i also believe though that uh i believe that astrology is meant to be a guide you know i don't mean to get off of the subject of music and onto astrology but just in passing since you brought it up uh, i believe that uh uh the stars and the, the, uh, uh, what not, ele- uh, moon and all that things in the sky that, that, astrology is, uh, based on, you know, uh, I believe that, uh, there's only a guide, uh, for you to better know yourself and to, uh, uh, govern yourself accordingly, you know, and other what I'm trying to say is that I don't think a person should, uh, completely live their lives by astrology. It's meant to be a guide, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, I read somewhere once in a in a astrology book it said the stars impel, not compel, you know. And I I think that sums it up pretty pretty good, you know. Gives you an inclination of mm-hmm. of uh your past, present future, uh and uh helps you a little bit better to check yourself out and know yourself. But uh still, you know, you gotta get out there and push. Yeah,
7: yeah. Some some people take it too lightly, they just say you know they don't really get their heads into it, like I've met people who said, "What's your sign?" I'd tell them and they'd say, "Oh well, I can't even talk to you then because uh, we just clash, you know, and they're going about it in the uh, in the wrong way they're not they're it's superficial for a lot of people
8: yeah well I, there's negative and positive people in all times, you know so uh, I uh just disregard
7: sorry. those people." <laughs> Back to the music.
8: Yes, let's do that.
7: Your latest album is called what now?
8: Serenade to a Soul Sister. And it features... And it sure has a lovely Soul Sister on the cover sure. there too, isn't it?
7: She's sitting there on a pile of hay or something. Now, <laughs>
8: watch yourself. <laughs>
7: features Stanley Turrentine. Would you like to do the title track?
8: Yes, let's do that, by all means. <laughs> Thank you. to a Soul Sister, the title tune from our recent Blue Note album. And uh, this is Horace Silver, visiting with Diane.
7: Have you ever done a, a show filled in?
8: Uh, yes, I had the pleasure of filling in for Billy Taylor for about three days on WLIB, well, New that must York. must have been again. it certainly was. Uh, it made me realize one thing, I, you know, it made me have a... Of a lot of more respect for disc jockeys because uh, uh, that is if you're the type of person who really wants to produce a good show, you know, uh, you take some time with it like you're doing, you know, uh, you plan what you're going to play and uh, whatnot, you know, you try to get a continuity. uh, More or less, I can compare it to uh, when I go up on the bandstand, you know, uh, I try to think of a sequence of tunes that uh, will maybe relate to each other or or that'll establish a a mood and a rapport with the people, you know, uh, Uh so the set will build, you know, and uh, uh, it's much the same thing in uh, putting together a a record show. That is, if you really uh, are intent on uh, reaching the people and putting together a good musical program, you know, you just don't play any old thing, you know, you sit down and give it a lot of consideration and... uh, you know, you play a slow one, a fast one, a Latin one, or this. you've got to break it up and try to make it interesting, you know, so the people won't get bored with it and all of that, you know. It's, uh, it's a lot of work. And then uh, there's the element of timing, too. You know, you have to uh, figure out uh, how long a track is on a, on a record and how much time you've got to get it in and all it's of that. It's not so easy when
7: you <laughs> listen to it at home.
8: Yeah, it's, it's not easy. But, it but it's fun. I, I sure. had a ball doing it.
7: Well, that's good. That's a, that's one of the few stations I've ever heard that does that. I heard Mel Lewis and Pat Jones last summer in New York. They did a great job, too. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they really had a lot of fun. Yeah. It was kind of beautiful. Your last most recent album was called The Jody Grind. It's got some really nice things on it. You have a lot of Mexican influence on this album, that Mexican hip dance and uh, a few others I noticed in there with that kind of uh, a sound to it. Have you been to Mexico recently?
8: I was in Mexico a couple of years ago.
7: Which is about when this was made.
8: But uh, my Mexican trip... uh, This tune wasn't... uh, uh, This Mexican hip dance in this album was not uh, inspired by my Mexican trip, though. I uh, wrote that tune quite a few years back. Uh, In fact, when I had Blue Mitchell and Junior Cook way back then, I wrote that then. Uh, uh, I did uh, uh, write it uh, in other words, I was uh, inspired by uh, some Mexican music that I had heard, you know, on record, uh, which sort of turned me on to writing this tune, but it, uh, at that time I had never been in Mexico.
7: Well, how do you like that? <laughs> I think you know, I
8: think it would be a a, a a great thing. Uh, uh, I haven't had a chance to look into the matter, you know, but uh, if there's... Uh, certain record company or something where you can go and get uh, various folk music from from all parts of the world, you know. Uh, Not saying that you could get something out of all of it, but uh, there's a lot that can be derived out of some of that music, you know, uh, uh, from far off lands, you know, these uh, homemade instruments and stuff that they play, you know. Uh, In fact, the African Queen, uh, another one of my compositions, uh, uh, I was inspired to write that from... Some African folk music I heard on record, you know, and uh, it's it's uh, interesting how these things can turn your mind around and, and uh, you know you make your mind go in another direction where you come up with a, a
7: different composition. A whole you new know, whole new feeling to it.
8: Mm-hmm.
7: Instead of the uh, some of the older stuff had that bebop feeling, and this newer stuff is uh, giving you all kind of, It's more going to different lands in a way. Taking a trip with Horace Silver. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do Mexican hip dance? That's, uh,
8: that would be fine, yeah.
7: Let's, let's jump into that. Okay. <laughs>
8: that was a little tune called too much sake uh sake that is being the uh japanese rice wine and uh before that uh, a number called the mexican hip dance
7: from the jody grind
8: from the jody grind
7: album yes those both gave a a feeling of uh what we were talking about just before that kind of a foreign influence even if he never went to Mexico he did go to Japan as this uh, record mentions who did the, uh, the liner notes atushiko kawabata
8: no uh, that's pronounced uh, atsuiko atsuiko kawabata it's a good friend of mine we call him Artie
7: <laughs> <laughs> why, why could they put that <laughs> why could they put that on there <laughs> Well, let me uh, change the subject a little bit now. Let's ask about your new group. How long has it been together?
8: Uh, Well, uh, just about a year, uh, the nucleus of it, I would say. Anyway, uh, Benny Maupin has been with me a year, Benny Maupin and uh, John Williams and uh, Randy Brecker. The drummer is new. He's just joined us. He's only been with us about three weeks.
7: He's getting right into it, though. Mm
8: -hmm, Yes.
7: When you get a new member of the group, do you ask him to listen to your older records? uh, Yes,
8: that's a good idea. I I usually do that. Usually,
7: sit down and listen? Yeah. Kind of like doing your homework.
8: How about that? (laughs) There's a lot of them to listen to, too.
7: What kind of things affect a group going around? Uh, I noticed that over the years you've had a number of different groups. Do you ever just like to break up a group to just kind of get away from it?
8: well uh sometimes i uh break up a group uh, because uh maybe physically I'm tired you know i I might have been uh uh working very hard uh for two or three years or so you know and uh which is what happened uh, last time I broke up the group i just uh, wasn't feeling too well physically and uh was just tired and, and uh uh, had a few uh, minor physical ailments, and I just wanted to take six months to kind of get my health together and rest and take it easy and do some writing, you know. So uh, I broke up that group, and then I formed the one I have now. Uh, then sometimes, too, another element comes into the picture, too. Uh, uh, although you might have a good group for a certain amount of time, uh uh I think it's good to change every once in a while and get uh, a fresh element, you know, in the group. Uh, anything sort of uh, wears out after a time, you know, and uh, I think it's it's good to get some young blood into into the uh, works every now and then, you know. And uh, of course, you know, uh, I'm consistently trying to write new material, but we're still playing a lot of the old material, and I find that uh, some of the new musicians who come in and Play the old material; they they give it a different interpretation, a different approach, and it comes out still sounding fresh and alive. You know,
7: because it's new people with new uh, new improvisation, new uh, new yes. ideas for
8: it. You know, uh, uh, earlier we uh, uh, before we started the program, that is, uh, we were talking uh, Dan, and uh, uh, we mentioned something that I think deserves to be mentioned on the air. That is uh, about. Uh, How when a group comes in uh, to a club or a city opening night, you know, and uh, usually the critics come in to review you, you know, from the newspaper or magazine or whatever, Uh, and I've I've found this true not only in the states but also uh, in England. You know, we we just came back from London a few months ago. We were over there for three weeks in Ronnie Scott's club, and uh, the critics will come in uh, on opening night uh the band is probably tired from traveling a long distance to get to wherever they're going to open it you know mm-hmm. uh, uh i'm not trying to make excuses for us but uh, in many instances uh, many uh, instances the piano uh is out of tune or the the microphones are not uh set up properly the 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 volume controls are not uh we haven't found the proper levels to put the each mic at and uh, everybody's trying to get used to the sound of the room, the acoustics in the room. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, the critics always come in on that opening night, opening set opening night, hear that one first set. Usually some of them might stay for part of the second set, but a lot of them come in here the first opening set and rush out and evaluate you on that one performance, you know, instead of maybe coming in on the second the third night. Give you a little chance to, to well. get... Uh, used to the tune. sound of the place. And uh, if the piano's not in tune, to get the guy that owns the club to tune it and uh, get the microphones uh, set at the proper levels and, you know, get the uh, the right balance and the uh, conditions to, uh, to, to be made right, you know, so that you can perform uh, at your best level. But When you uh, uh, go into a nightclub like uh, a group just opening up, you know, I, I can say there's not only a jazz group, but... Uh, a rock group or uh, uh or anything like that, you know, uh uh even a play, you know. Uh opening night of a play, I think it's uh, really kind of unfair. Uh, but uh I think the really what what is the most unfair thing though is that uh some of the club owners just don't realize the importance of a good piano and having it in tune and having the mics uh, work properly and uh, having a, a good sound system in their club, okay, the club might look beautiful, but uh, uh, the, the decor is lovely and everything, but the sound is horrible. Uh They don't stop to think about that part of it. You know, uh, they're having music in their club. The music is bringing the people and making them some money, and they don't stop to think about uh getting a sound engineer or somebody to... uh Put the drapes in the right place, or the carpeting in the right place on the floor, or, or make some kind of uh, whatever they have to do to fix the sound in the room, to
7: so that people can so really hear hear it. the yeah. band
8: good, and and the band can project good. You know.
7: How often do you notice this across the country,
8: or wherever you've been? Well, it happens quite a quite a bit. It happens quite a bit. Uh, you know, you might come into a room that uh, has beautiful decor and uh, horrible sound, horrible acoustics very bad piano out of tune or, uh, or one that's so bad it almost has to be tuned every day it goes out so fast, you know.
7: Well, now you critics know what's happening.
8: <laughs>
7: <laughs> I'd like to do something from probably your biggest selling album, uh, one most well-known anyway, Song from My Father, which is one of my most favorite LPs. This is something dates back to about, I believe, about 1964 or so. And it sure is uh, a nice example of a different uh, style of writing for you, Calcutta Cutie.
1: That was uh, a
8: little exotic thing that uh, we call Calcutta Cutie. This is Horace Silver.
7: And Dan McCloskey. And we just got a few minutes left on this part two of an interview. We did part one last night. And we should mention again that you are playing at the Jazz Workshop through next, what? Next through Sunday? Through
8: next Sunday, uh, March 2nd.
7: And that's over on Broadway. I appreciate very much you taking the time out to talk with us and give our listeners a little idea of what goes on in the mind of Horace Silver which is uh, incredible much if you want to use those words just looking at how much you've written kind of uh, taking an average it looks like about nine tenths of all the uh, records ever put out under your name were written by you all of the compositions on the albums some albums uh, every track except one some albums all the tracks which is something really to look forward to because a lot of jazz albums now come out with uh, either a lot of old standards on them or redoing another tune and you can almost always look forward to something new on a Horace Silver album
8: well I believe in uh, doing something different all the time you know uh, it's not always easy but uh, you can't go back and try to rehash something that you've already done people have heard that already and plus uh, you've heard it and you've done it already uh, You know, life goes on and creativity uh, goes on and you uh, have to move along with it. So, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, for myself and for the guys in the band, you know, uh, I try to keep fresh new material in the book all the time, you know, to stimulate me and to stimulate my musicians, you know. Uh, Of course, we still have to play the older things, uh, which I like and I enjoy playing and the people want to hear but uh, it's the newer things uh, that uh, eventually become the older things, you know. All right. So uh, we've got to keep the ball rolling.
7: I imagine this old one was new at one time, room 608. I thank you very much.
8: Thank you, Dan. <laughs>
1: 1969. That's going to conclude our program for today. Uh, we'll close out uh, with Detroit's own guitarist uh, Kenny Burrell, an album from uh, 60 years ago, 1963, entitled Freedom. This is our of Zikaway signing off, and have a beautiful week.